Chapter 12 of A Broken Bond. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jeff Blanchard. A Broken Bond by Nicholas Carter. The Deadly Tube. While unconsciously playing into Follensby's hands, Floyd had opened the way for a diabolical crime. The head of St. Swithin's had adroitly pulled the wool over James Stone's eyes and kept the half-crazed miner from knowing just what to expect. But nevertheless, the specialist's mind had been made up from the beginning. He had planned it all out after receiving the letter. As for his recognition of the miner, which had so startled his visitor, it had been a very simple matter, and quite within the capacity of one much less shrewd than Stephen Follinsby. Floyd had announced that Stone and Crawford had taken passage on the Cortez. Follinsby had taken pains to learn when the vessel had docked, and when, later, the big bronzed man had presented himself, the caller's name had, to the doctor, been as good as written over his face. That Stone was undoubtedly a victim of some mental derangement did not matter to Follinsby in the least. Almost any other physician would have been affected by the man's plight, and would have thought of nothing but the best way to cure him. Not so Follinsby, however. His apology for a heart had been hard in the beginning, and it had grown steadily harder as a result of his ostensibly scientific but really devilish experiments on unfortunate sufferers. Had there been a spark of honour in him, he would have done all in his power to keep the irresponsible stone from crime, and, if possible, to banish his ailment, but instead he determined to use the demented man for his own ends, to help him to murder, and finally to strip him of his fortune. His conscience had not given him a single twinge, for the very good reason that he had none. In fact, the prospective division of wealth seemed to him eminently right and proper. He might be taking away Stone's fortune, but he would be giving him Crawford's in place of it. In other words, he reasoned that Stone would be getting the job done for practically nothing, and the 450000 while generous pay, was not a cent too much according to Follinsby's view of it. He knew as well as anyone could have known that, though he might try to shift the responsibility as much as he pleased, it lay with him after all, and he wanted pay for it. Moreover, he coveted wealth, more wealth than he had been able to amass through the many handsome fees that were pouring in all the time from the rich and great who were numbered among his patients. He wished to build a hospital of his own, of which he should be even more the master than was possible at St. Swithin's. He longed for expensive laboratories built and equipped along new lines, not for the good of humanity, but to further his own peculiar ambitions. Stone's money, with what he already possessed, would go far toward realising these ambitions, and he was willing to take almost any risk to further his conscienceless aims. The hours passed away swiftly, and at about seven o'clock in the evening, Follinsby, returning from a round of the wards, entered his private office and went to the telephone. He rang up the Hotel Windermere and asked for Stone. The clerk informed him that Mr. Stone was not in the hotel at that time, but might return at any moment. 
if you care to leave a message, it will be delivered to him as soon as he arrives, the man went on. Very well, Follinsby returned, after a pause. Tell him that the gentleman whom he visited on Amsterdam Avenue this morning will be at the hotel about half past seven and will wait for him in the lobby. The clerk took down the message and repeated it, after which Follinsby replaced the receiver and prepared to leave the hospital. By means of an intercommunicating phone, he called up St. Swithin's garage and had his car, which he kept there, brought round to the entrance. As he crossed the pavement to enter it, he lifted one long, lean hand and pressed a smooth, round object in his breast pocket. Little did the passers-by dream that, concealed in the clothing of that sinister, shabby dress, but nevertheless distinguished figure, was a tube containing deadly bacilli in a quantity sufficient to spread death for miles around, even, if unchecked, to sweep throughout the entire country. Thus, like the shadow of death itself, the vulture-like form of Stephen Follinsby slipped into the big limousine and was winged away to the Hotel Windermere. End of chapter 12